We just live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. On the streets of old Milwaukee was a young boy walking. Hello and welcome to episode 38 of the Brew Hoop Podcast. I am Riley Feldman and as people who have listened to the podcast for a while will know, if I'm the first voice you're hearing, usually that means we're down a couple of people. This week I'm actually down both of our usuals. Uh, Kyle Carr is a stuck in a desert somewhere. Uh, we're hoping he's okay and Adam Paris is also off the grid. So I am in charge. So that has two consequences. First consequence, uh, I am the person who is in charge of all the technical aspects of putting the podcast together. I think this is recording right now. I see it says recording. It says end broadcast. So we should be okay there. If tomorrow this gets into your feed and it doesn't have the right intro music or I don't have the right Dante's Inferno, uh, you know, bumper, all that, I apologize. Uh, I'm just kind of winging it here. So uh, hopefully once Adam is back or once Kyle is back, we'll figure it out. Second consequence, I was able to go out and find a, uh, a willing participant or maybe unwilling. I know we'll see as we go along here uh, to join me this week. And uh, it happens to be my Brew Hoop compatriot, Andrew Goodman. Andrew, I would love to go into your whole bio like we were at some sort of academic symposium, but I think it would be easier if you introduced yourself. I, I know a lot of people would know you from things that you've written for Brew Hoop, uh, your own Twitter account, your own podcast as well. So if you would like to give our listeners a little quick uh, rundown for you know why you are a Bucks fan, uh, who you are, whatever you want, just so people get to know uh, who you are as you join me here today. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for having me on, Riley. And before I get into the whole spiel, I just want to let uh, Kyle and Adam know you guys have been replaced. So, you know, don't even bother <laughs> coming back on for the next edition, just putting it out there. Let's make but, those you know, vacations you, permanent, why don't we? Right. You know, I actually saw Kyle the other day. He's out here visiting in Arizona, and I can't confirm at the time he was still alive and well. Don't know about how he's doing now, but, you know, pray for Kyle. Okay, okay. so we have a warm body sighting, at least, at a minimum. Exactly. But, you know, you might be asking why the hell is some kid from Los Angeles a Bucks fan? You know, you have the Lakers, you have the Clippers. But growing up, I was never a Laker or Clippers fan like all my other friends or my family. And it all started when I was about seven or eight years old. My family, we went to uh, Milwaukee in March to visit. And we went to a Bucks game back when they played Cleveland. The Del Delante West, Anderson Vergel, they were still, uh, you know, youngins in the league. LeBron, Michael Red was pretty much an all-star and even though the bucks were pretty terrible you know went to the game you know as a young kid i thought that was like the coolest thing ever going to a bucks game you know like watching basketball and then i came home with all this bucks memorabilia and then it just really took off from there i've you know much like you guys our listeners we've seen a ton of losses and i've been right there with you guys so it's not like i'm some guy that just came in two years ago oh Giannis mvp bucks bandwagon yeah bucks fan for life here not that we would judge you if that was the case. So what you're saying is when you were growing up, you never did you ever go to any Lakers or Clippers game or was the Bucks game your very first like NBA action that you had seen live? You know, I would go to Laker and Clippers games, but when they were playing the Bucks. So oh, okay, first, all right. My first basketball game, I believe, was a Bucks Clippers game in Los Angeles back when Clipper tickets, you know, lower bowl ticket was like $10. Well, if you, if you joined in then, I mean, you joined in right in, like, you were, like, I wouldn't even say it was a crest for the mid-thousands, but, like, you were right before the trough really hit, and we kind of get into the Brandon Jennings era, but you had, like, the worst branding in team history, not the mm -hmm. worst teams in team history, but, like, if Michael Rev is an all-star, that means he was very close to no longer being an all-star and being quite the opposite, unfortunately, so uh, you obviously have been uh, through the trenches if that's what your history is. Yeah, you know, we've been we've been through a lot as Bucks fans. We definitely have. I think that's actually quite the understatement. Uh, and that I think that's what I would say a perfect transition in that we just got done with week one. And while the expectations for this team are a little bit different and by different, I mean, exceedingly higher than they were in, you know, 2008, 2009, um, the Bucks. I wouldn't say heartbreak, anything along those lines, but kind of a meh, to put it uh, lightly, one-in-one one, uh, first week of the NBA season. Uh, 
I'm assuming if you're tuning in, you probably already know, but just to run through it, uh, they opened the season on the road against the Houston Rockets. They ended up winning that game 117-111. Uh, Giannis led all scores with 30 points. He had 13 rebounds and 11 assists. Um, we'll kind of break down a lot of the other places we talk about that game. And then they followed that one up with what uh, could be best termed as something akin to agonizing torture, losing to the Miami Heat uh, yesterday, or we're recording on Sunday. Uh, in the home opener, they ended up losing 126 to 131 in overtime uh, after a Chris Middleton, what I'm just assuming was an assist, definitely not a last second fadeaway jumper that fell into Giannis's hands that he just happened to pop it in to get overtime. But um, just kind of, you, you know, I, I think we'll just kind of start wherever you want, Andrew. Was there anything between those two games that really jumped out at you, like either that you'd like to highlight as a positive, negatives? I, I think there's a lot you could take you know, from kind of both games, it was almost as if it was one long extended game where the Houston game started slow, ended up looking a lot better in the second half. They go to the Miami game, first half, they look good. Second half, they look, you know, pretty putrid. So I, I, just anything, anywhere you want to jump off on those two games, we'll kind of get it going. Yeah, absolutely. I just want to circle back real quick to the season opening victory in Houston. I was keeping a close eye, you know, like many Bucks fans on uh, Chris Middleton. It just, Something about him out there, he didn't look like his usual self. He wasn't, you know, I didn't think he was moving that well without the ball. There were times where he was getting severely outplayed by Rockets, Ben McElmore and Danwell House. Also to me, Eric Bledsoe, he only played 16 minutes in that game. He he just didn't look healthy. You know, I think he might have rushed back a little bit from that rib injury that he suffered a few weeks ago right before the season started. But I think one big positive from that, obviously, Wesley Matthews, I think every team needs a guy like Wesley Matthews, who's a vet, who's going to play around starters minutes every night for this Bucks team. But he's just a guy that knows where and when he needs to be on the floor. You know, even though he shot two of eight from downtown, he ended up with uh, 14 points and ended up hitting two clutch three-pointers down the stretch after Giannis fouled down, really helped propel the Bucks to victory. Another positive from that game for me was Ersan Ilyasova in 20 minutes, 13 points, 11 rebounds, you know, that Panton mid-range shot down the stretch was clutch. You know, I, you know, this is out there, but if the Bucks do win a championship when it's all said and done and Ersan is on the team, do you entertain retiring his jersey number? That's, I know that's totally out there. Not only would I retire a jersey number, I might retire too, because didn't he have both 7 and 77 when Thon had 7 or whatever? It was, yeah, so we might, mm-hmm. he might be the first double jersey retirement in, uh, in team history he's been like if you look at the basketball reference page for him it's so comical how consistent he is from year to year and like you know all uh you know nebulous nebulous questions about his age aside the the fact that he's pretty much been the same exact like pretty much excellent player since he first got to milwaukee or started really playing uh beyond impressive and like you said both in the rockets game and in in parts during the heat game as well it's just he he has the ability to be in the right team at right place at the right time and like you said it's just it's this weird safety blanket where when i see ursan out in the corner for a wide open three i feel more comfortable with him taking a three than like pretty much anybody else on the entire roster so uh i, I think it's appropriate that you gave ursan a shout out I, and like you said i'm totally there with you for the uh jersey retirements we already retired like 10 people's jerseys so what's another two to add to the list Right. Uh, and I would say, if, if we're kind of focusing on the, uh, not the Heat game, the Rockets game here, the uh, the other guy I want to kind of give a shout out to would probably be Brooke Lopez for positives. Um, he, he started off the game pretty slowly. I think it was only until the fourth quarter where he really started turning it on. But when Giannis ended up falling out with... I wouldn't even... Was it like four or five minutes left or so? It was, it was still, I believe it was like five minutes or so. It was like, oh, crap, we're totally done for. Because Giannis was the guy, like I said, 30 points, 13 rebounds. He was kind of doing it all on both ends. And so when he fouled out, it was like, what the hell are we going to do? Because Chris, up until that point, and for that night, he had only had 11 points, went 4 or 16 from the floor, 3 for 9. Eric, he had foul trouble. He only went 4 or 12 from the floor as well. So there was really nobody else that jumped out like, okay, this is our go-to guy. And all credit to Brooke Lopez and to Mike Boonholzer as well that's they noticed that there was a chance for a mismatch because Houston was running really uh, small with Tyson Chandler off the floor. So it was like possession after possession after possession. It was like, let's just get it to Brooke. 
low post uh, PJ Tucker right there. And I want to say like three or four possessions in a row, Brooks scored or got fouled or, you know, got to the free throw line, whatever it was. And that was really critical to help execute on the offensive end because Houston was still hitting, but not nearly enough to be able to just outpace the consistent two points that Brooke was uh, putting up every single time down the floor. So I wanted to also uh, highlight Brooke's performance. I'm not sure if uh, there was another player on the uh, roster that you really want to highlight as a positive player. No, I mean, I'm right there with, you know, when Giannis found out, I believe it was five minutes ago in the fourth, you were like, oh, well, here we go again. You know, another disappointing loss once Giannis hits the pine on, you know, a very, very, very questionable, that might be putting it lightly, uh, six foul. And, you know, Russell Westbrook was heating up and, you know, him and James Harden were having a nice little connection there offensively. So it was like, well, here we go. But like you said, Brooke Lopez, I, a lot of people forget, you know, before he became a three-point marksman back when he was still on the New Jersey Nets, he was one of the best, if not the best, low post scorers in the NBA. So it was it was just awesome, like you said, to see uh, Coach Bud just funnel it into Brooke Lopez when Houston was going small and, you know, really relying on him to shoulder the load. Uh, Chris Middleton also hit a huge three down the stretch. I thought also Pat Connaughton, you know, he was okay, you know, keeping things stabilized in the second quarter. But I don't know. I just think there might have been a little too much planet path there for me in that season opener against Houston. Yeah, it was kind of difficult. I mean, when I was I was in charge of doing the Twitter duties for the game, so I wasn't paying attention to the box score super duper closely. But one thing that really jumped out right from the get-go, and this is both for the Rockets game and the Heat game, was the amount of foul trouble that the Bucks got in, especially Giannis. And we can talk about the questionable nature of the six fouls they picked up in both the Houston Rockets game and the Miami Heat game. But both him, Eric Bledsoe had a lot of foul trouble, especially early. He didn't have too much in the second half in the Rockets game, but early on, he, he ended up only logging, I believe, five minutes the first half because he had gotten so many fouls. Uh, Ursan, he ended up getting five personal fouls, so... Across the board, that was something that I, I wouldn't say is really a concern because we're early in the season, but th that's an area where, you know, for example, a year ago, the team led the league in opponent free throws allowed per field goal attempt, and I believe it was like .162, and this year, they're sitting at 24th in the league, allowing .7, uh, .272 free throws per field goal attempt, so that just kind of emphasizes the difficult nature of the opening two games for the Bucks, especially on the defensive end. And I have a couple of different advanced numbers here to kind of run by uh, as we continue to talk about these games. Uh, so, so far through this season, again, all caveats, it's only two games. It's a long season, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they have 17th uh, offensive rating in the league with 104.7. They were, as everybody remembers, 113.8, fourth in the league last year. Defensive rating, 104.3, 15th, so pretty pedestrian there. Um, but 105.2 got them to first last year. So, you know, it kind of seems like it's a slow start for a lot of different teams offensively. Pace pretty much the same. And like I said, the free throw number is something to look at as well. So it, it's difficult because when I look at these two games, and we'll kind of talk about the Heat game now, I think it's a good time to transition. It's difficult to, when evaluating these, were these disappointing games? And I, I think in my opinion, I would say the, Houston game was still a little bit disappointing because how much of Houston going cold was like the Bucks really executing defensively and how much of it was it looked like they were just out of source the Rockets were eventually and then for the Heat there were multiple possessions and I think especially the guy that I wanted to kind of look at for the Heat was Goran Dragic the fact that the Bucks utilized this pick and drop scheme all last year which works to perfection and through two games it's not horrific but there are some points where i'm like oh i'm a little questionable about it you could notice especially in the heat game a lot whether it be brooke i don't know it's not so much attention but he's just not as effective around the rim Giannis, he's he's losing attention there was multiple times yesterday where he was guarding kelly Olynyk, and there would be a pick and roll and for whatever reason he would either get sucked in or just kind of stop looking to where his guy was and Kelly Olenek be wide open on the court or it would force Brooke Lopez to switch on to Goran Dragic to try and guard him. So is that something in your mind, Andrew, at least through two games, is that something you're concerned about the defense or do you think these were two teams that were kind of outliers? I think everybody agrees the Rockets are going to be good this year. I think so far people probably slept on the heat a little bit, but are you concerned about the defense at all so far through two games? 
I'm kind of at a crossroads. I mean, obviously you got to give props to the Miami Heat. You know, any any Heat team coached by Eric Spolster is just going to, you know, give it your all game in and game out regardless if they have Jimmy Butler or not. But like you pointed out, I thought Drogic and Bam Adebayo, yeah, uh, what was that? I bet make it on Saturday against the Heat. They were just killing the Bucks that pick and roll. It just seemed like Drogic was just getting into the paint easily, lobbing it up there for easy slams for Adebayo. And I thought the Bucks actually had a decent amount of success down the stretch, um, close close to the end of the fourth quarter when they actually started switching defensively. It seemed to throw Miami a little bit off their rhythm. Granted, you know, Miami really should have put that game away, but they missed a ton of free throws. And you know, it, was, I'm, I it is the strangest know. game I've seen in a long time. Like the closing sequence in both the fourth and OT it was just it was a weird game from start to finish. That game was definitely drunk, putting it lightly. And to me, I believe <laughs> that game that game for me was lost in the third quarter, even though the Bucks maintained a double-digit lead going into the fourth. It's just they built that big lead in the third, and then, you know, offensively for me, I thought that was a big problem as well. A lot of guys like Giannis started settling for outside jumpers. Brooke Lopez was settling for outside jumpers. Robin Lopez was even getting in on it, and I know that's a guy you, you know, he might be your favorite player on this Bucks roster. Absolutely, just, for 100%. Me, for me, I don't know about how my how our listeners feel about this but i believe that offensive granted defense was bad but just that stagnant offense in the third quarter just gave miami that false sense of hope even though they were down by you know 21 now they're down by 12 going into the fourth like all right you know we actually have a shot at this yeah it's it's so difficult because miami is historically a really tough out and i believe last year i believe the bucks won both games so that doesn't really hold up nearly as much but every time i see miami on the schedule i'm like god it's gonna be impossible to beat these guys because eric eric is just a really i mean i don't know how everybody has him ranked but definitely a top five coach for preparing whatever group of players he has because he's running out there i believe they ended up having like two or three rookies in their starting lineup obviously jimmy butler congrats jimmy uh the fact that he uh i believe is the birth of his child on wednesday so he didn't participate but you know spolstra gets this kind of slipshod roster is like okay we're gonna make something work with it the bucks uh, there was nobody missing for them they were a full health and yet regardless after they survived the three-point barrage in the first half, and I should note, I believe the Bucks ended up going, what was it here? I have it written down. They went 14 from 30 from three in the first half, so really, really good. I believe the highest three-point make number they had last season was 22. They ended up making only three of 24 uh, in the second half plus OT, which is just, I mean, that's god-awful. And so when that's not going for the Bucks, it was like, okay, well, we'll go to Giannis. And Giannis kept running into wall after wall after wall. And um, I know Adam Kyle and I have spoken on the past, and I'm sure you've kind of thought about it as well, Andrew. The fact that what might be the next step for Giannis is how do you execute or make decisions in those kinds of moments to help out the team? Because as good as he is, even going up against three defenders, that's just tiring. And yesterday it wasn't working, even though he ended up with 29 points and 17 rebounds, like all credit, the guy he still had a ginormous stat line. They, they being the Miami heat were able to scheme in a way that they didn't get in foul trouble. They were able to, even in transition moments, like, okay, just build a wall immediately, whatever it is, build a wall forces right. somebody else. And the bucks, they have a lot of willing passers, but they don't have really excellent passers per se on the team. I think, I mean, who's the best passer on the team? Giannis probably right. Like top yeah. to bottom. And so when that's the case, and if Giannis is settling for like double covered fadeaway mid rangers off the baseline, like, yeah, the offense is going to suck. It's just not what it's meant to do. So it, it's tough for me to really get super bent out of shape because Eric Spolstra is such a good coach and defensively, it's just hard to get around that in my opinion, because they have the right personnel and they'll probably end up being, maybe we'll look back like in a couple of moments like, wow, the heat were awful. And that was a really weird outlier. But, you know, it, it seemed at least through that game, they won both uh, their games so far that they should end up being a pretty good team, but that doesn't necessarily excuse what the Bucks did anyways. Yeah. You know, uh, just talking about Giannis again, the performance against the Miami heat, the, those eight turnovers and the five of nine free throw shooting we've all known, at this point that Giannis is free throw shooting, you know, it's very difficult to, you know, kind of accept that he's just not going to be a good free throw shooter for the rest of his career. In in my opinion, you know, you can't leave that many points on the free throw line. The Bucks went 27 to 35 against 
Miami, which is 77%. I mean, that's not terrible. But then again, you make your free throws, still end up probably winning that game by a decent margin. Really, like you said, tail of two halves, though, the Bucks put up 70 in the first half. Looked like they were well on their way to an easy victory. And then just got really sloppy in the third quarter after, you know, Chris Middleton was hot in the first quarter, you know, got off to a great start. You know, that was pretty much all we heard of from him. Brooke Lopez, two of nine. Eric Bledsoe was pretty much invisible the whole afternoon, even though he's finished uh, with a plus minus of plus four. Also for me, I, I love it. Kyle Korver, 17 minutes, still taking nine three-pointers. I think that's awesome. I, you know, I, you know, it's, he's going to be the guy where he'll be in, you know, 10, 15 minutes, but then he's going to have, you know, at least six three-pointers attempted. And he was even hot in the first quarter. But then after that, you know, that was pretty much all we heard from Kyle Korver. Wesley Matthews, again, pretty solid five and nine from the field, four of seven from deep, 14 points. Um, but I would really love to see Brooke Lopez work in the post more rather than settle for, you know, outside jumpers because the first two games his jumper is just very broke. Yeah, it's so difficult. I think it almost feels like this year's iteration because of the personnel, and this is obviously part of the plan, but it feels like they're like that whole three point and just at the layup or layups only we're going to do that, but like even crazier. Like for example, so far this year, their three point attempt rate is 51.8%, which means over half their shots are threes. Whereas last year, and that's, that's the number one value in the entire league last year. I mean, still a really high number, 41.9% of them, but that was third in the league. And again, two games, if we, who knows if this is how it's going to be throughout the season, but they're going even further into the live and die by the three and at in the paint. And when that's the case, you know, if it's somebody like Brooke Lopez, who is an accomplished shooter, but so far, you know, at least from three, he went two of eight yesterday from three and I'd have to double check what he, yeah, he went one to three from three in the Houston game, you know, it's difficult because we have a lot of proven shooters, but if those are going to be the only two shot types you have, you're going to probably run into situations like Miami a lot more. And maybe Miami is special in that the personnel and the coaching that they had combined to make it even more difficult for the Bucks. But if you only have Giannis drive layup, Eric drive layup, okay, those are your two interior guys, great. And then everybody else kind of stand around and we'll do like pass around or like maybe we'll do a little driving kick, but we're going to just do only three pointers for the most part. You're going to have a really difficult time. So I agree with you. I'm totally a proponent for Brooke Lopez going inside. The issue will be, is Mike Budenholzer in a position or, you know, is he willing to adjust in that way? Whereas we saw that happen in the Houston game, but that happened because his hand was forced because Giannis was on the floor. So it'll be interesting kind of keeping an eye on that as we head forward, whether or not we make an adjustment there. And I, I think the only other thing I wanted to kind of highlight in terms of uh, different players, I'm a little concerned uh, about the minute allocation and that's probably more so not that surprising because we all know that Budenholzer loves his veterans. He loves uh, running dudes oh, out yeah. 30 minutes if he can. So like Wes Matthews, I believe he had th- over 30 minutes in both the Houston game and the Heat game. Uh, George Hill logged near 30 minutes in both games. Cal Corver, like I said, 15 in the Houston game, 18 against Miami. Um, I'm concerned not so much that we're going to have, like they're going to blow their tires the first week or two of the season, but and these guys, Wes Matthews maybe is a little bit of an exception, but George Hill maybe a little questionable if he's logging that many minutes, how reliable he'll be. Kyle Korver, I would rather, you know, as much as I lamented, it's not the end of the world that he's on the roster. Obviously, when he's out there with Giannis, he's quite the tool, but I'm not sure if 18 minutes regular season Kyle Korver or even 18 minutes playoff Kyle Korver, if that's getting you the type of value you're looking for, where you could maybe try Dante or you could see, you know, I know Sterling Brown's a little bit different in terms of size and the way he plays, but you have all these young guys on the roster. And last year we saw that it, coach Budenholzer wasn't afraid for doing this long wing rotation where I was like, okay, we'll do like a week or two of Pat. We'll do a week or two of Sterling. We'll do a week or two or Dante when Dante was healthy. So I'm a little concerned the first two games. And again, two close games, this entire podcast, we should we should have started the podcast with like all caveats aside. This is what we're going off of. Um, but that's something I'm kind of a little concerned about as well. Is like, is Boonholzer going to be willing to go to young guys 
Or is it going to be like every single time it's a somewhat tight game, it's like, well, they got to get Kyle out there. Because I think those minutes will add up, and who knows how effective he'll end up being You know, once we get to the playoffs after an 82-game season where he's averaging 15 to 20-ish minutes a night. I agree with everything you just said, but I hate to be the one who opens the can of worms per se, but you know, this is what happens when you let Malcolm Brockton go. And regardless if you think letting him go was the right decision or wrong decision, when you have starting caliber player like Malcolm Brogdon, who I don't have the numbers in front of me, but he had to average, what, mid-20s, upper-20s, minutes per game, even probably in the 30s. But, you know, someone's going to have to fill the void. And, you know, the Bucks went out and signed Wesley Matthews and Kyle Korver, which, you know, in terms of personnel, great signing. But, you know, these guys are veterans. They have a lot of miles on those legs, like you said. So I wonder how, you know, how different this team would look right now if Malcolm Brogdon was still on the roster. And, you know, I saw a lot of overreactions flying out there yesterday after the Bucks lost, regardless, you know, it definitely was a bad loss. That was definitely a win that they should have. But, you know, this is what happens when you let a guy go. It's essentially next man up from here. And I do agree that I would love to see a little more DiVincenzo and DJ Wilson as well. Even, you know, a little more Sterling Brown who only played 15 seconds against Miami. Yeah, uh, I've got basketball reference. Uh, Malcolm ended up averaging 28.6 minutes a game last year. And again, he had 64 appearances, but he started in all 64. But so, so yeah, I mean, just like you said, regardless of how you felt about the decision they made with Malcolm, he was obviously a huge part of the roster. Um, and we'll see. It's kind of looks like it's a work in progress, at least for the first two. West seems to be the first guy up, and he did okay in the Miami game, a little bit more streaky from three in the Houston game. We'll kind of see how that goes. Um, so kind of looking through here. I, I, oh, sorry. Go for it. Sorry. I just wanted to – I didn't want to get too far off track, but another thing for me is, you know, the Bucks were, I believe, top three in scoring points in the paint. Last season, this year, so far through, you know, only two games, they're bottom half of the NBA. They're number 22 right now. And Miami feasted yesterday in the paint. Yeah, it's. It, I've been at. So we'll kind of get into Robin Lopez. I know you can already tease it a little bit earlier, but I'm curious through two games, I, I would have to look at the numbers here, but you are right that teams have seemed dominant. And for me, it's not so much even like, okay, Bam, Bam Adebayo makes 60 billion jump hooks yesterday to start the game. Okay, that's one thing. It's not the end of the world, just kind of lucky guy. He, he's hot at the moment, no big deal. But there were so many times where you have a pick and roll combination with like Dragic and, like you said, Adebayo, or whether it be Harden and Tyson Chandler, for example, where those two guys are good ball handlers and good floor generals and... So maybe those are exceptions, but I think there would be multiple times where, especially with Robin, but even a little bit with Brooke or whoever they ended up going, like I think Ursan had a little bit of time at a small ball center position as well. There were multiple times where they were kind of, the pick and roll action would start and whoever the drop guy was, because the ball handler was so dangerous, they were kind of stuck frozen and it wasn't so much, okay, I'm going to pick and roll and the ball handler is going to, dive right into the paint immediately which is something that the bucks can handle it's kind of like i'm going to hesitate a little bit after i get off the screen wait for my screener to come around and then here comes a tyson chandler alley-oop here comes a bam out of bio alley-oop right so so those kind of sequences you know we saw last year that the one thing that really killed the bucks was here's a pick and pop shooter like uh Kemba Walker is the first guy that jumps to mind because he killed the bucks especially in the season opener um but we saw multiple times that that was like the way that teams were able to beat them. And so when you would look at this, because you'd be like, okay, well, this team has a pretty good pick, pick and pop guy. This guy has a good, you know, whatever the situation is, sort of like that. And so is this pick and roll hesitancy? Is that something that other teams are going to do? And if they're sitting in the mid range, if theoretically that's the shot that the Bucks want to give, which they're not wrong to want that to be the shot they want to give to most players because they're not, most players aren't really efficient there for the most part. Is there a way that teams after a whole off season going to be able to look at the scheme and say, this is how we can kind of manipulate this. Look, look at the way that he's sitting down there and the guy who's coming off the screen, he's not coming off, especially if it's not like Eric Bledsoe, he's not coming off quick enough to be right on the ball handler. So can we hesitate it enough where somebody's able to just sky in over the top, um, and I think you're right to pull that up is potentially a concern and something maybe it's no big deal. Again, 
two games through, but I was not super impressed by Brooke or Robin uh, in their interior defense, which is sort of problematic because the entire team relies upon the fact that you can get to the paint, but we're going to stop you in the paint because we have such great interior defenders. Right. And, you know, this is what happens when all of a sudden the Milwaukee Bucks are cream of the crop team in the NBA. You know, opponents, regardless who you're playing night and night out, they're going to take a lot of extra time game planning, watching film on, you know, just how to dissect the Bucks defense. And, you know, the NBA is all about adapting. And if opposing teams are going to adapt to the Bucks defense, then, you know, it's on to Coach Bud to adapt and make changes as well, rather than keep things constant if things are not working out. So it is two games, but this is definitely an interesting storyline to monitor as we look go into the second week. Yeah, like you like like you were saying, you're like they they busted out the switching scheme. Wasn't the switching scheme last year like the not break glass in case of emerging, but the like secret weapon? Like we're mm-hmm. not going to bust this out until the playoffs because we don't want anybody to know. But like game two, we're like, all right, we got to go to the switching scheme, like. To me, definitely. it's it's not the end of the world, but definitely uh, if that was going to be the secret weapon last year and we're already busting out in game two, probably a little bit questionable how much the guys can really execute the pick and drop or if it's something that needs to be adjusted. So uh, something to keep an eye on. So it, going before we move on kind of to the next segment, was there anything else on the two games that you really wanted to break up? Any players, Any uh, anybody on the opposing teams that you really wanted to highlight, anything like that? Well, here we go. For me, against Miami Heat, you definitely, you know, you definitely do not deserve to win. Dragic scored, what was it, 25 points. Uh, but you let Kelly Olenek drop 14 and some dude named Duncan Robinson, with all due respect, who I've never even heard of, looks like <laughs> some guy that they just picked up at the, you know, University of Wisconsin rec center. It's like, oh, we need we need an end-of-the-bench guy. So, you know, you let those guys go off on you. You really don't deserve to win. And, you know, Kendrick Nunn, Looks like a great, great signing for them. He dropped 18. So, you know, it was just a whole microcosm of events. Like anything that could have gone wrong yesterday for the Bucks in the second half did essentially go wrong. Yeah, here's the one thing, though. You got to give it to Bud. They did stop Tyler Harrow. Is it Harrow? Uh, from, uh, Hero, Harrow? Yeah, Harrow, Harrow, whatever it is, uh, from having his homecoming game uh, at 14 points, 2 of 7 from 3, 6 to 16. I had heard that people booed. Now, I, I think this is interesting. This is a refreshing perspective on this podcast. Usually we, I think Kyle is somewhat indifferent on the Badgers, but I believe Adam is sort of a Badgers fan. And so normally we have a lot of Badger love here. And so I think people dislike Tyler Harrell because he didn't choose to go to Madison, which, you know, whatever. Um, so did you, did you feel some extra energy going into the game, desiring the fact that Tyler Harrow spurned Wisconsin to go to a different program? Did, do you think, uh, that was something the Bucks had to watch out for? Well, anytime, you know, you have a guy born and raised coming back home to play, you know, in his hometown state, it definitely is a storyline because, you know, I'm sure I can't obviously speak for Tyler Harrow, but you know, you go back home and you want to put on a show and it just looked, you know, Harrow's going to be a great player, but it just looked like there was a shot yesterday that he really did not seem to not like. It yeah. seemed like he was a little timid out there. You know, he was trying to do a little too much. And I thought Miami's uh, starting unit actually was very bad. And yeah, the yeah. big reason why they ended up coming back and winning is because their second unit came in and essentially shut down the Bucks in the second half. Yeah, Bam Adebayo, Justice Winslow didn't look awesome, though he did end up going plus 16 and he had 13 rebounds. He didn't look great either. Bam rounded in a form a little bit, but yeah, the uh, all-youth starting lineup was not great. Uh, one final note here about Tyler Harrow uh, before we move on to the next segments, uh, and this is a quick story. My brother, God bless him, he decided on a Tyler Harrow Instagram post where uh, Mr. Harrow posted, I believe he was in a gym training, NBA training, and it said... Uh, the location was tagged as the trenches. So my brother, because he's a fool, he he commented, he said, looks like a gym to me. And then Tyler Harrow responded, you wouldn't survive. God. <laughs> so, when, <laughs> so Tyler Harrow is a hero in my books. You know, whatever, whatever, he, whatever college he went to, no big deal to me. That was a hell of a response because my brother deserved that 100%. Uh, So with that, I think we're going to finish talking about those two games. We're going to take a quick break here, uh, go to an ad break, and we will be back in just a moment. All right, and we are back. So the other thing that I have here in our outline and our show notes, 
I have a couple of overreactions. Now, the qualifier is, and I, I qualify everything that I say with this, I am essentially a basketball stupid person. Uh, I don't really understand the X's and O's all that deeply. I just kind of watch it. I like it when the ball goes in, et cetera, et cetera. But if I was to come through the first two games and say these are things that I wouldn't say they're hot takes per se. I mean, I'll, I'll let you be the judge of those, Andrew, but here are a couple. Oh, there goes my dog. Here's a couple of things that are kind of jumping out to me. First off, Robin Lopez, really not impressed with Robin so far. Um, it's He's gotten a lot of minutes, and he has been okay defensively, but the three is not there, and the like interior scoring is not there. So I have written down here, Robin Lopez might suck. What say you, Andrew? <laughs> well, I'm going to have to agree with you on that one. While I do think Robin Lopez might be one of the funniest guys in the NBA, I love the shtick he has with all the NBA mascots and all that. I honestly thought this was a signing, you know, listeners might disagree with this, but I thought this was more of a camaraderie type signing, sort of like that Danasa signing where, you know, you already have Brooke. You want to build some more camaraderie in the locker room, granted. You know, Robin defensively has always been pretty solid, but man, just whenever he was launching launching up threes within these last two games, it's just like, no, like, please stop. And then that sweeping hook, hook shot, I really do not know how that goes in the basket. He like, I it's just like the mechanics on that. He like, it's like he's shooting it from the floor and it just looks like a crane. It's just bizarre. His greatest moment in the Houston game was there was like, I, don't know, if I think it was in the third quarter, Tyson Chandler had, he was posting up Tyson Chandler and like <laughs> shot clock was running down. He dribbled, 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 ran into him a couple of times and then did like a one and a half step, like attempt at a jump hook. And just Tyson Chandler, for whatever reason, fell asleep at the wheel and accidentally fouled him. And like that, that was Robin Lopez's offensive highlights. So definitely it, it's, it's tough because we didn't really have another traditional center per se to kind of back up Giannis or not Giannis uh, Brooke last year and Robin's coming in at a pretty cheap price, which is nice. And uh, again, the way that he's being asked to play defense might be completely different from the way that he was asked to be play defense in Chicago. I admit I didn't watch a lot of Bulls games last year, but you know, it could be a thing where, I'm not even looking for a ton of rebounds. If he can kind of replicate what his brother does and he helps everybody else rebound better, that's great. And then maybe it just takes time. I think we saw in the preseason, there were times where he was pretty aggressive in the drop scheme where it's like, I'm not waiting for the ball handler to kind of come to me. I'm going to kind of get right on him as soon as I can. And that seemed effective. But through the first two games here, that's not really showing out. So that's number one in my hot takes. Number two... I think we might get a Giannis MVP hangover, but the way that I'm going to couch this is not so much we're going to see, oh God, he's only averaging like 10 points and six rebounds. Like that's that's just not in Giannis's DNA. But to me, through first two games, I haven't seen any growth in his game. Like he had all the assists in the Houston game. And we have the shooters, and this is the one area where not having Malcolm Brogdon is a plus. You have Wes Matthews or Kyle Korver, whoever it is. They're a lot more willing to shoot right away. But I haven't seen anything, whether it be the three-point shot, which still seems broken, even though he went two for five in the first game, over five in the Heat game. Um, whether it be the free throw numbers, which he's averaging, or whatever, he's shot 55% from the free throw line, unacceptable. Or fouling out in two games. And again, those final fouls and that he picked up, for both games, a little questionable. And especially in the heat game, when they were playing from behind, he ended up being the guy that intentionally fouled a couple of times, which that's just not something that they should be doing. Somebody else has to step up and do that. But I haven't seen anything to be like, Oh, this is a new thing that Giannis is doing because so far it looks a lot like last season, Giannis and last season, Giannis won the MVP. And this, that season, Giannis is going to also put up great numbers this year but he's not playing with a ton of control a lot of the time. He's still kind of very physical, almost borderline out of control. His yeah. passing is okay. It's not amazing, but he's he's doing okay finding shooters when he's stuck. But even then, he's still making kind of poor decisions offensively where he's like, I'm just going to force this. Um, so I would say there might be a hangover in that he hasn't changed much at all, and teams have had another year to be like, okay, this is maximum Giannis. How do we stop this, or how do we – 
absorb that blow and have the other guys take uh, try and beat us. So uh, that would be my second hot take. I do like that he is not being as shy with his jump shot, but then we saw, you know, it looked pretty good, uh, the stroke from deep against Houston, but then we saw against Miami second game, you know, first two shots don't go in yet in the third quarter. He's still, you know, settling for jumpers behind the arc. Definitely not a fan of that at all. And another thing that I think Giannis really needs to start utilizing more often, and it's a shot that's going to be pretty much open for him anytime down the floor offensively, is, you know, that little post floater slash hook shot. I don't know why he's not using that more frequently, driving to the bucket off a spin move or just off a simple back down. I think that shot for him, I'd rather see him take that 10 times rather than settle for outside jumpers. And like you said, playing a lot more out of control than we're expected to. You know, he's always been physical guy, you know, almost like a bull in the China shop, put his head down, drive to the bucket and out muscle someone, you know, for a dunk or a layup. But, you know, he's now averaging almost six turnovers in two games. And, you know, it looks like he's on a trajectory to finish with a career high in turnovers. Last year, he finished with close to four turnovers. So, you know, definitely would love to see Giannis play with a little more control and, you know, we've seen it since a rookie year. He's game per game, at least one or two stupid fouls, which is why he's fouled out the last two games. You know, regardless if, you know, those uh, six fouls in game one and two were questionable, you know, he shouldn't be in that situation if he's picking up stupid fouls, you know, in the half court, stuff like that. Yeah, it, it's so tough. And again, this is, I think we're going to see as the season goes on, this is where at missing a guy like Malcolm Brogdon because all credit to Chris and Eric. They're both really good players at what they do, and they bring a lot of value to the team. Once you get past Giannis, if he's gone, I mean, George Hill, a little bit. He can do it a little bit, and he did it a lot better in the Houston game than he did the Heat game. But, you know, there's only so much shot creation that we have because Chris, he's a good passer in transition. He can find tight spaces, but he's not so much like, we're going to set up the offense. I'm going to run it, and I'm going to, like, facilitate. That's just not his game. Eric almost pretty similar um i think he might be maybe even a little more willing of a passer but even then it's he's never been like this excellent i'm going to helm the offense and so it works really really well when Giannis is out there he's really hitting his stride and we saw that last season i think we're going to see that this season but when you're missing a guy like malcolm and it's like okay we're gonna have george hill but george hill is aging and while he turned back the clock in the playoffs we have to remember he was borderline horrific all regular season last year. He had moments where he was okay, but between like injuries and I think he only shot like in the twenties from three, it's, it's going to be difficult unless somebody like Dante steps up or somebody else on the roster that I just don't see it right now to be another creator where it's like, if Giannis is struggling with his passing, on any given night, that's going to sink the, both the starting unit and right now, so far through two, the bench unit does not look excellent per se if Giannis isn't out there. So the team made the bet where it's like, we're really going to, Giannis has arrived and he has arrived and we're really going to rely on that to kind of get us over the top. And through two games, it seemed to have been okay in the Houston game and it worked fine the first half of the Milwaukee game until the heat adjusted a little bit and the stop shot start uh, stopped falling. So that's, uh, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm just concerned in that again, I'm not worried. Giannis is like going to not average 25, 26, 27, 28 points and however many rebounds. It's just a concern where if this is who he's going to be, that puts a cap on where the team is going to go in my opinion. No, it definitely does because last year we saw whenever Giannis and Middleton, one of the, both of them had, you know, good game, same game, you know, it was pretty much a lock that the Bucks are going to win. But now, you know, you're having it where Giannis is scoring a lot, but he's also sort of negating that with all the turnovers. Chris Middleton still doesn't really look like Chris Middleton yet. So, you know, I think there's still a lot of, um, you know, not, I don't want to say personnel issues, but, you know, they're still getting acquainted with one another. I think even though you add only, you know, three players, you know, Wesley Matthews is playing is a starter playing starters minutes. Kyle Corver is going to be playing 10 to 15. You know, it's going to take a little while for them to get integrated with the system. So I just feel like it's sort of stuck between a rock and a hard place when it comes to the Bucks in that second unit, because, you know, you have great veterans on the squad, but what do you do if, you know, you know, they're not playing well. You used to have a guy like Malcolm Brogdon, who, let's be honest, was probably the Milwaukee Bucks uh, most clutch player last season. 
Yeah, I, I know, especially like in the two seasons ago in the Boston series, like that the whole season was like, okay, who's getting the last shot? It's going to be Malcolm because he was just in you know, big moments, whether it be like tight in the final minute or whatever, he was almost you know universally the most uh, consistent guy from three, especially. And when you're missing that, it, it, and what was troubling about the Heat game was the fact that, yes, we have all these vets, and yet that didn't stop this like mental error shutting down and the team totally losing its mind, essentially. And so if the Heat were able to do that, what would another team was even better able to do? Uh, and that's something to right. kind of keep an eye on. And so the final hot take I want to throw out here, and I kind of already touched on it uh, in the previous kind of discussion here, I think the rotation, 2PG rotation between Eric Bledsoe and George Hill, uh, it could be awful uh, because through two, Eric has looked okay at best, and I'm not one of the people who laments Eric getting his extension. I think he had a really awesome season last year, and even if it's like a slight decline this year, not the end of the world. I'm really skeptical about George Hill. Uh, he and maybe the skepticism is misplaced because he was really good. I think he was plus 16 in the Houston game. He had seven assists, no turnovers. That's exactly what you're hoping for. But how often are you going to get that George Hill? I think that's an open question. And once you get past that, like Eric got Eric Bledsoe got into foul trouble and it was like, Jesus Christ, we have nobody because Dante wasn't getting run. And it's like, you know, much love to Frank Mason. He was just not going to be the guy that was going to get thrown out there for minutes. So, I'm really worried that the Bucks, who don't have a lot of natural creators creators outside of Giannis, are going to rely on two aging point guards, one more aged than the other. And uh, it, I think it has a potential to not doom the team, but it's going to be a huge handicap on whatever they're going to be able to do in the regular season. No, I, I agree with you. And Eric Bledsoe absolutely deserved that extension that he got. And if you look at the market value, it's actually bargain if you know you ask me if someone making 17 million dollars is a bargain i'll take it um, <laughs> but the bucks need him they need him to play like the old eric bledsoe of last season they need him to be granted i i'm not a doctor i'm not suki hobson i don't know if he's healthy or not i don't know what the deal is there but you know overarching thing here is if eric bledsoe doesn't play well the bucks aren't gonna win in my opinion that's 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 where i stand on this issue yeah, I think you're 100% right, especially because you can't run Giannis for 48 minutes. And if you're not going to have Giannis out there for 48 minutes, one of Chris or Eric, and this is why the team worked so well last year, like almost every single game, if it wasn't Eric, it might be, it was probably Chris. And if it wasn't Chris, it was probably Eric who was able to pick up the slack for the second one. We saw it in the heat game that Chris was able to pick up the slack. I think he ended up with 25 points himself and he was really, really hot in the first quarter. Uh, Eric, not so much. And it, Totally right. I totally keep forgetting because he just came back. I, I was even going ahead at the end of preseason. I'm like, this guy relies on his athleticism so much, and he's going to be forced to kind of sideline himself for two weeks. And I'm sure he's fighting through pain still because the timeline was a lot more extended than what it's currently been because he's out there playing. Um, and so if you're gunning through that pain, you're not able to like be as explosive as you would normally like to be in yeah, it, I would be worried about him continuing to strain it and maybe being something he has to deal with throughout the season. But if if he's struggling, yeah, it's going to be a tough night for the Bucks just because that's he of all the different players. He on the starting lineup more than Chris is going to be the other initiator. And if he can't initiate, then we're in a world of trouble, in my opinion. So, so if you're listening to this, get Riley a George Hill jersey for his birthday. <laughs> Please don't put it out there. I, or Robin Lopez. Look, I, I don't begrudge uh, those guys getting brought back. Uh, Hill, I was a little more skeptical on, even though he saved our asses multiple times in the playoffs. But, uh, yeah, write me down so far. Early, I think my strongest, or at least my uh, the most locked-in take from the year is definitely going to be George Hill would not be good. Uh, and that hurts a little bit to say, but... Uh, I don't know, man. When you pay a guy that much at his age, and he kind of seemed like he might be washed already until he got to Milwaukee and sucked for a couple of months and then did well for two weeks. He he had the ultimate two-week contract year. Like, it was the greatest two-week yep. contract year we've seen in NBA history. So, shout out to that guy. I mean, <laughs> get your money. But, yeah, it's going to be a tough one to uh, swallow every time I look at the cap sheet. Uh, so, those are it for, like, my hot takes. I don't know. Do you have any uh, hot takes, any strong opinions coming out two games that maybe a couple weeks or months from now you'll be uh, 
maybe you'll regret a little bit, but that you feel strongly about right now? Uh, I would just say relax. I mean, this Bucks team is still... I, I can't relax, Andrew. I can't relax. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's funny because when you tell people to relax, it only gets them more angry and frustrated. But I still think this Bucks team is a lock to finish one or two in the East. I still believe, you know, their hand, they're, you know, a lot better than a lot of these teams in their conferences. And they're they're getting stuff figured out. Wait, a, wait another few weeks until Eric Bledsoe gets healthy. But if we're still seeing these struggles persist, let's say, let's say what is it? we're at pretty much at the end of October, you know, give it another month. If they're still, you know, at this point where we're having these, having to have these conversations about the Bucks defense, then that's when I would start to panic. All right. My final question for you in this hot take segment, are you team Chris Paul to Milwaukee or non Chris Paul to Milwaukee? Uh, I love Chris Paul as a player, but I am going to have to be off that bandwagon getting into the Bucks just because that contract is just atrocious. Dude, it's so crazy. Number one. It's so crazy. Uh, if you were asking me this question, let's say this is Chris Paul of, what, four, four or five years ago, then I would say yes. But, you know, it's just with that contract and now he's old and he's a liability to stay healthy. Well, I do believe Chris Paul is one of the best point guards in the game when he's healthy. It's just way too big of a risk for the Bucks to take in my opinion yeah I think uh I would totally 100% be there with you but the other topic I want to talk about and this is the first iteration of the vulture talk segments and unfortunately again I must apologize everyone I do not have any sort of bumper or anything to uh toss on here we will get some sort of like eagle screeching because I don't know what sound vultures make I would assume they screech too but we'll, we'll get something together it'll, it'll make it sound great but um I think, oh, wait, hold on. Am I looking at this right? Speaking of Chris Paul, it looks like he has 28 points and seven assists against the Warriors oh. right now. They're up 50-something. Okay, not, not letting that color it, but going back to Vulture <laughs> Talk. Uh, so there was a little bit of a storm of controversy that earlier this week, and I promise everybody this will not be a recurring segment on the, like, worrying about Giannis will not be a recurring segment, but, you know, since I'm the one sort of, pseudo in charge of the podcast so we come hijacking things and i'm adding it on here there's a slight controversy this week earlier where the milwaukee journal sentinel published a quote or they found a quote that Giannis gave the harvard business school for a case study um about small markets retaining superstars essentially saying you know i don't have the exact quote in front of me but you know next year or if we're struggling to meet expectations or whatever then it would make it more difficult to decide to resign you know, whatever essential is that the usual quotes that he would usually put out uh, maybe a little bit more aggressive than in the past but we should say this is a quote made in april before the playoffs um Giannis has been pretty on point with his messaging so far but when the general sentinel posts this there was a lot of controversy like oh my god i can't believe the hometown papers you know against the team and then when Matt Velasquez asked Giannis about the quotes. Giannis refuted that he had ever said it at all. (laughs) Um, And then there was like a little bit like, well, we have to wait for the tapes. We have yet to hear back from the Harvard Business Review people. But um, kind of for me personally, looking at that controversy, I'm not going to say I lost a lot of respect for Giannis, but um, I was definitely troubled, at least in my opinion, and I, I respect that other people are coming at it differently, that he essentially tried to like fake news his way out. And he, for his sake, better be, he and his team, whoever came up with this response, better be hoping this isn't recorded. Otherwise, in my opinion, you know, it, it's one thing to say this to a different like like harvard no big deal whatever this is the quote it, yes it's a little more aggressive than your previous ones but i don't think it's anything everybody's all that shocked about to me what bothered me about it was his unwillingness to own it if that's something that actually happened to be like oh well my girlfriend asked if i said i was like i've never said those words in my life which uh, come on man that's really going to be the position you take so um i just wanted to bring that up i don't know how do you how did you feel about it andrew is kind of happening yeah. i know my position's a little bit unique i would say probably no, you know, actually, I have no problem if that was said, because I actually agree with you, honest, you know, if the Bucks do the right, right things, then, you know, you're giving them all the reasons to stay. And if you're not, then you're giving them more reasons to leave. So I have no problem with the quote that Giannis said. But like you said, the response where he tried to sort of fake news his way out of that, that was definitely not a good look on his part and the team's part. You know, I, like you said, if this conversation was recorded and if it were to come out, then, you know, it would just you know, hamper Giannis's image a little more. 
on that regard. But in terms of like actual context of the quote that Giannis, I don't know why he would speak to the Harvard Business School for a case study. Seems odd, but I mean, <laughs> they just caught him like after a game. Like, hey, Giannis is like, what? Uh, yeah, like, sure. <laughs> like he just gave it to some random people. Like just random, found him in the locker room after the fact. It just seems bizarre that you know Harvard Business School would want to talk to someone on the Bucks. But all right, have at it. I have no problem if Giannis did say that quote again. But the way he did handle it when I believe it was Matt Velasquez of the Journal Sentinel asked him about it. You know, he was like, no, I've never said those words in my life, blah, blah, blah. I just don't think that's, I think that that's a little immature on Giannis's end. Yeah. It, it's weird that they must've, uh, again, <laughs> I think the best case scenario is like you said, they found he, it was like, when did they play Boston? Where were they on the road? Maybe they're on the road in Boston in April and right. uh, just some, just some like sophomores from Harvard, are like, dude, we gotta go see if we can talk to Giannis. And they they got this quote out of him somehow. Like, let's just assume it's the craziest story ever. Maybe that would excuse it. And I should state, I am very doubtful we'll ever we you know peasants on the ground will ever hear uh, the tape. If there is a tape, uh, it will probably just get confirmed. But there is also like context and everything that comes through in the actual verbal exchange that it doesn't right. in the written form. Um, I think just for me, it, it's something where, and this kind of turns back into Chris Paul, I kind of wish if he, and maybe he is totally undecided, I think there's every possibility that's the case, but if he ever comes to the point where he's like, uh, yeah, I'm probably going to go, just tell us, and I'm team, I'm not trading for anything, because after that, we're screwed anyhow, so I'm team, right. let's just do whatever, then I would be like, okay, we got to get Chris Paul, like it's it's going to be awful after the fact anyhow, so let's just go ahead and grab him. Um, so I, I hope throughout all this, and again, we won't probably talk about this a lot this year, but I just hope he's on the level with the organization where even if he's publicly not like, Hey, this is what I'm going to do talking about all the time. It's going to be tough to avoid that because he can take questions all the time. But as long as he's communicating with the team, what his desires are, you know, whatever the quotes are, not the end of the world, just do better Giannis and Giannis's PR team uh, at trying to handle it because it will come up a lot and we're only two games in the season and we've kind of already had a pretty big stumble. So, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. well, look, okay, well, this is totally out there, but let's say the Bucks won a championship this year. For me, Bucks won a championship, Giannis, go wherever the hell you want to go, my man. I, you know, if you ask me in my life, I'm you just want, yeah. If you know, kind of pull like a Kawhi, go to Toronto one year, win a championship, then dip to LA. Like, have absolutely no problem. You know, Bucks won a championship. Giannis wants to leave, go to New York, go to Brooklyn, go to Los Angeles, go to Miami. You know, like, have at it, man. Because I would have never thought that the Bucks would win a championship in my lifetime. That's where I kind of stand on this Giannis and you know, quote unquote, you know, free agency pending decision, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I uh, I tend to agree with you and. Uh... I think I might have to go save my dog here real quick. So I will throw it over to you real quick. Uh, one more thing. Um, the teams that the Buck or that Giannis has been linked to so far, Orlando, Golden State, Toronto, Andrew, one of those three teams, which one would you be most upset to him going to? Oh, okay. Is this after? It depends. If this after he wins us a title or if he just leaves without winning a title. For me, I don't even think. Orlando is, I don't even know why Orlando is even listed. I really do not see any logical reason why, aside from the weather, of course, and maybe going to Disney World, I have no idea why the hell Giannis would want to play for the Orlando Magic. I would be, I'd be more upset if he went to Toronto because, you know, obviously, you know, they eliminated the Bucks in the Eastern Conference Finals last season, and it's still in the Eastern Conference where you'd have to play Giannis four times a year. And, you know, if we went to Golden State, let's be honest. I mean, Golden State, I believe their window is kind of shut to win a title without Kevin Durant. But obviously, you add Giannis to that uh, mix with Steph Curry, Draymond, and Clay, then that's a totally different discussion. So I'd be a little more upset if Giannis stayed in the East rather than if he went out West. I believe the Orlando. So the three breakdown, I believe Orlando was a Reddit user. <laughs> I think the story was clutch points, which I, I believe they are. I wouldn't say they're fake news, but definitely in the rumor merchants uh, category for yeah. sure on Twitter. I believe mm -hmm. they found a guy on the NBA subreddit who put together a long post 
I didn't read that post because whoever posted it was a crazy person, obviously. It probably revolved around something like John Hammond, they have cap space and like he complimented yeah. Mo Bamba once or whatever. <laughs> like that was the case for Orlando. So I'm really skeptical about that one. The other two, I believe Mark Spears said something like Toronto is on the list because Giannis could get endorsement money, which yeah, fair, sort of, but in my opinion, in the basketballing world, Toronto is essentially like Milwaukee with a rapper who has a slightly more successful career who uses the franchise for his own like promotional needs. So sorry, the one Toronto fan that may probably does not listen to this, but not really impressed by Toronto as a free agent destination or as like the mecca for any player who wants to launch their media career. Golden yeah. State makes sense just because they're Golden State, I guess. But uh, I believe that was a Stephen A. Smith. He said that Giannis wants to avoid KD when KD comes back healthy. Uh, to me, that feels wants a little to bit avoid KD. Yes, yeah, that was. I believe that was what. Okay, let's <laughs> calm down. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't. I'm not sure if for whatever. Maybe the relationship between KD and Giannis goes a lot deeper than we thought, but. KD doesn't really strike me as that kind of guy. So, so that's to put, just odd because. Sorry to interrupt you, but no. uh, I remember when Giannis first came into the league, he would talk about how, you know, guys like Kevin Durant and Carmelo were his idol. And you remember that one game, I believe it was Giannis's rookie year, where he had that massive block on Durant. And it always seems like whenever they play each other, Giannis really does kind of stun Kevin Durant. He does. So I'm not sure where that's coming from. And it's not like uh, Giannis should be scared of Kyrie because right. the Bucks made Kyrie and the Celtics look like complete idiots after yeah, game one, all aside. The rest of the series, they made them look fools for the rest of the way. So right. re- really not sure where that inside info is coming from, Stephen A., but appreciate you throwing that out there. So that our list so far, week one, we're down, up to three teams. I think we can include... Giannis being linked to Milwaukee just because of location and all the other stuff aside. So we're up to four out of 30 teams. Ideally, we're going to get to all 30 by the end of the year. I think it's possible. There's there's going to be a way to be like, well, you know, I heard the Phoenix Suns. It might be a contender for him. <laughs> he loves the way he loves the way Booker plays. Like something I see that coming within the next like two or three months if Booker has uh, as good of a season as it seems he started to. Um, all right. So final segment here, we'll be talking about the games that are coming this week. Normally we go through the four, uh, or however many it is this week, we have four and predict the schedule. So just for reference's sake, we have, uh, tonight's, if you guys are listening to this on Monday versus Cleveland, the Cavaliers at home Wednesday, they're on the road. They head to Boston to face the Celtics. Uh, they continue to stay on the road. They head Friday to Orlando to play the Magic, and then they return for a back-to-back at home against the Toronto Raptors. Before we break those games down or even kind of really talk about it, what do you think, Andrew, the record will be for those four games? Uh, I think they are going 3-1. and one. I do feel very bad for the Cleveland Cavaliers on Monday I You know, if I were them, I wouldn't really come out of the <laughs> come out of the tunnel for that one. Yeah. Uh, I think if Kyle were here, he would say 4-0 because he's the eternal optimist. I would, I might go 2-2. Two two. Uh, not sure. It's tough to tell about the Toronto game because the Bucks could either really get up or they could fall flat again. And I don't know if any of those are like national games or anything. A little worried about that. A little worried about the, uh, the Orlando game as well, if only because... That's uh, that's a team that kind of played the Bucks pretty well last year. They seem to be okay this year. I'm really interested, even though I would go two and two, um, and if I was to pick two losses, it would be the Orlando and Toronto game for no real particular reason. Really curious how the Boston matchup goes because maybe one could argue that Toronto will be the better team this year, but contrasting the way that the Bucks were able to manipulate the Celtics last year versus this year with like Kemba and... Uh, I can't remember the center's name right now. Um, Turkish guy. Yes, thank you. Enos Cantor. Um, You know, the Bucks can abuse like a pick and roll defense like that over and over and over again. If like Eric and Giannis have their heads on straight or, you know, Eric and Brooke have their heads on straight. So I'm curious of the four. That's the one that I'm most interested in just because I think Toronto, we're really not sure what they're going to be this year. They seem like they're going to be pretty good and they might be a dark horse, but I think most people would say, um, Boston is a more quote unquote clear contender for the East, even though I would say it's still a two team race. So I'm not sure if you agree I, or disagree on that. Or no, I definitely agree with that. But I think the one loss might be at Boston. I just feel, you know, even though, you know, you talked about it, Boston is markedly worse. 
than they were last season. You know, they lost their nucleus on offensive defense and Al Horford, you know, obviously losing Kyrie Irving is huge. I just feel like, you know, it's just one of those games where, you know, playing in Boston, regardless of how good the Celtics are, really isn't easy. You know, there's a lot of history at the Garden and all that good stuff. So if there's one game where I think the Bucks trip up, I think it's that one in Boston. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. I hope I really hope that Kyle the Optimist is correct. A four and week here would go a long way to helping cleanse the palate from the first two games. Uh, again, I, I should, everything we should have said. This is the sky is falling question mark question mark question mark edition. Uh, we really don't know another four games. We're really not going to know still a ton a ton, but we'll get a slightly better idea. So. Bucks, if you're listening, Giannis, if you're listening, everybody on the team, if you're listening, as I'm sure you all are, as you are on your way to the arena to play the Cavaliers, please win all four games. Make life a lot easier for us. It would uh, be a lot, agree with that sentiment. A lot simpler to uh, podcast than have to worry about the team week after week. Right. So as we come to a close here, I think uh, I want to thank you, Andrew, for hopping on. I, I want to give you a chance to plug where people can follow you. Obviously, you're at Brew Hoop, but anywhere else, anybody else can catch you. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Andrew, letter G underscore NBA. You can find all my terrible hot takes and all that good stuff on there. And I'm also on Instagram. I don't know if many of you guys are active on Instagram, but uh, <laughs> at there, at Andrew underscore Goodman and the number three. I can 100% attest to Andrew being a good Twitter follow. He, uh, the takes, I wouldn't even say they're super hot takey. They feel like they're moderately takey. Like they're, they're reasonable, which is really, they're spicy, but not so much. You're like, Oh man, you you have to grab for the milk right away. So I would say, (laughs) I would encourage everybody. If you're not following Andrew or anybody else in the brew hoop, uh, team. And for those who missed, we have a new tweeter in chief and, uh, another Riley. So we continue to grow the team. Uh, you can find me at Riley Feldman, uh, two ends on the end if you really care. Otherwise, you can follow a different Riley. It doesn't matter to me. Uh, and I think with that, we will come to a close. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week. Uh, hopefully, I don't know when Kyle returns, but we might have a, another kind of amalgamation crew next week. But thanks for listening. We'll catch you soon. On the streets of old Milwaukee was a young boy walking. 